This is New York State of Crime. A podcast exploring New York's most disturbing criminal cases. I'm Brenna. And I'm Peter. And welcome to episode... Six. Six! Episode six. Episode six. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Do we have any news? Any business? Anything that's happening? Oh, there is an update that about a... We didn't do it today in New York about it because there's not a lot of information, but they just caught a serial killer in the New York City subway system. No, 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 no. Not serial. Spree. A spree killer in the New York City subway system. Mm-hmm. What? What is the story there? There was a homeless man suffering mental health issues who stabbed four people on the A train at both both ends, north and south ends of the line, and uh, it was I think it was two two of them died, and two were just wounded in strange ways. Like he he stabbed some guy in the knee and the ass. Ouch. Yeah, just like I don't know why you'd go for that, but anyway, they caught the guy apparently still covered in blood from his last victim and with the weapon on him and they charged him with one count of first degree murder one count of second degree murder and i also recall seeing that he has a like detailed history of mental illness getting bounced around um you know families different family members houses and then eventually getting onto the streets and then a shelter then in and out of a shelter and this is all like in the in the area of the Bronx hmm. where his family lived he just apparently wasn't tolerable to live with because he wasn't getting treatment for his his illness hmm. he was violent and just needed to be on medication mm-hmm. yeah I think he's um whenever it was like a subway attack it's very interesting because I think any of us who used to use the subway regularly (laughs) um felt maybe whenever there was someone like this you know quote unquote on the loose um it's it's very like random yes and just that like you could be the one waiting for the q train waiting for the six train whatever and like you could be the one that's shoved onto the tracks or like somebody just stabs you like that has always been like repeatedly there have been people doing that kind of thing and like it's yeah. always so terrifying because we all use the subway so regularly and it is so random um so maybe this one's a little different because he was targeting other homeless other people. homeless people so it wasn't you know targeting just random people and right. also nobody's using the subway anymore so in well, some that's ways that's not really true i mean the ridership is greatly decreased but it's not like no one is using it no you're right um yes the there are people using the subway, and the people using the subway are much more, like, people without privilege, because everyone who has privilege is working from home, and everyone Pretty much, yeah. who has to take the subway is... Yeah, so it's a different group of people using the subway, and mm-hmm. a lot less people overall, um, so I think, like, this was reacted to maybe a little differently than other cases, but it's always scary when there is something like this, even if we know now that he wasn't targeting the general public just the idea like because a subway station is so small and contained Mm -hmm. and like there's nowhere to run if someone's running at you like they're like i mean think about like the six train platforms 
Um, I mean, a lot of them in Brooklyn are even more narrow than our platforms yeah, off true. our train line. But anyway, it's like the train platforms are very small, narrow, and there's nowhere to run for the most part. Like, Only at the end. There's one exit, you know, maybe in the middle maybe or at two the end. Maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. And otherwise, you're on like, what, maybe four feet, five feet of of like a sidewalk and then otherwise it's the train track so it's yeah. very disturbing when these things happen yeah well i mean it's it's interesting that you say that because um there was also a spate of people getting shoved onto the tracks in the last few weeks and it really does seem to be related to the fact that shelters and other places where like mentally ill or homeless people would be housed and helped are they're getting impacted by COVID-19 and they're not able to accept the same number of people Mm -hmm. that they used to so now people are having no choice but to just seek refuge in the subway because it's like it's been cold and snowing here Mm -hmm. recently we haven't been getting it nearly as bad as the rest of the northeast and some other places that are nowhere near us but people are so cold, and they and they have nowhere to go. And unfortunately, you know, it's been said by officials, the mayor, etc., uh, that the subway system is not a homeless shelter. And unfortunately, they're right. But they aren't doing anything to alleviate that that problem in in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to just like, uh, you know, brush off this violence that's clearly related to a lack of humane treatment mm-hmm. and, and housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will end the fact that the subways have been closed between midnight and, what is it, 6 a.m.? Like, they have been closed... Four or five? Four or five definitely five. earlier They've been closed than for hours in the late night and early morning, which, right. I mean, the New York City subway system always used to be 24 hours so the fact is people are getting closed out at the coldest hours of night during our um code blue hour code blue days which means when it's below freezing outside uh which is where the subway would be the most humane place for people who are unable or unwilling to go into shelters which is 100 percent their choice and the problem is now that the subways are not an option and apparently I've read a bit about that they're taking many benches out of subway stations to discourage people from sleeping in there. And replace them with these, like, l- like leaning, half-standing, like, butt support things. Right. It's like a sloped piece of wood on, a, like, a, a metal like rod or metal right. stand thing against right. against the wall. The point is it's not a flat, horizontal service, so you can't right. sleep on it. right. Which is just cool. I mean, anti-homeless architecture, we can have a whole podcast about that, but this is not a podcast about that. It's not a podcast about that. Anyway, we obviously need better homeless services in New York City, especially during this pandemic, especially during this weather, and in general. I mean, pre-pandemic and pre-weather, you've already needed it, so I mean, this is just pointing out the flaws in the already horrific system. Yeah, I mean, while we're pointing out these flaws, they also totally botched that whole put the homeless people in the COVID hotels thing, so that they just, they fucked that up too. So this is probably, this is the oldest case we've done so far. Mm-hmm. This is back into the 19th century. Oh, well. Our oldest case so far was Alice Braybleck in right. the 70s. So this is our oldest case so far. This is the case of Lizzie Halliday. She is New York's most notorious woman serial killer. 
And she's also the first woman who was ever sentenced to death in the state of New York. Wow. Right? Serious. All right. You are going to... She did some wild stuff, so you're, you're going to have fun here. I'm ready. All right. So here's Lizzie Halliday's story. She was born as Eliza Margaret McNally in County Antrim, Ireland, oh. in 1864. So she came to the United States with her family just three years after she was born. Now, I was trying to figure out why they came. This is like the dip between the two major um, hungers in Ireland, like the famine. So there was a famine up until about um, the mid-1850s, and then there was another famine in the 1870s. So this is like the period between two famines. So it's not clear that they're like famine immigrants, but they could have been affected by it. Right. Like in their front, if they had a farm, you know, it could have been just like shit goes bad for a while and you just decide to up and move. Um, so I didn't get a clear answer as to why they moved. That would be my guess based on my knowledge of Ireland. So they moved to the United States in 1867 and she grew up there. And then Lizzie in 1879 married a man named Ketspool Brown oh. when she was just 15 years old. Oh, good. Right. She gave birth to her first son very soon after, and this son was later institutionalized. It gets better. Unfortunate. So Ketspool Brown died after two years of marriage. So Lizzie's only 17. Her first husband's dead. Her first child is institutionalized. Wow. And she remarries a man named Artemis Brewer. Okay. Less than a year later, he dies. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing a pattern here. Less than a year into their marriage. She remarries a third time a man named Hiram Parkinson, who left her within a year. Smart. So Lizzie's not having good luck. I mean, what, she's like not even 20. She's not having good luck. Um, I'm not really sure what's in her mind at this time. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of historical data on that. But um, apparently men were on her mind because she remarries another man named George Smith, who was a friend of her second husband, Artemis Brewer. So George Smith was apparently not very nice. So Lizzie tried to poison him with a cup of tea. Good. But she failed. So he survives. After that letdown, uh, Lizzie fled to Bellows Falls, Vermont. And as soon as she got there, she remarried Charles Playstill. Now, if you've lost count, this is hubby number five. Wow. She lived with Charles for about two weeks. Then she fled again. Oh. To Philadelphia. So Lizzie stayed here with the McQuillan family, which is a family she had connections to from Ireland. They were her neighbors back in Ireland, and they knew her family. So she opened a small shop connected to their property, and then promptly burned it to the ground for the insurance money. Wow, she is a good person, isn't she? So Lizzie was caught and arrested for this plot, and she served two years in the Eastern Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. Now, this is, I have not been there, but my brother has, and um, he said it's, so it's like a very, like, haunted site. A famous haunted site. Yeah. yeah. Famous haunted site. So you can tour this. I'm sure they tell you a little bit about Lizzie at some point on this tour. But yeah, she spent um, two years in the Eastern Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. That's right outside of Philadelphia. 
Okay, so let's recap. Lizzie moved to Ireland when she was three years old. I mean, moved from Ireland to the United States when she was three years old. She got married at 15. Um, I didn't do the math, but, like, she's got to be not even 25, and she's got on her number five husband. Yeah. She's opened a business, burned it to the ground, paid into its money, and now she's in jail. Wow. So that's her life so far. It's not really going so well. So after Lizzie spent her two years in Eastern State Penitentiary in Pennsylvania, she moved to Burlingham in Sullivan County, New York. Do you know where Sullivan County is? Oh, it's uh, sort of northwesternish from Hudson Valley, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? No, it's just west of Ulster County. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. 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 So um, she was in Burlingham, and she, she met, you guessed it, Another man. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hubby number six. And his name was Paul Halliday. That's where she gets her, um, I guess, final legal name of Lizzie Halliday. And Paul Halliday was a widower with young sons. Uh, one of his sons had a intellectual disability. But Paul did not make Lizzie happy. So soon after she married him, she eloped with a neighbor. Wow. Running away to Newburgh, New York. Wow. That man quickly deserted her, and then Lizzie was arrested. We're not sure for what, but it it seems like possibly she had stolen some horses from someone to run Mm -hmm. away with this man. Cool. Um, So at that trial for potentially stealing the horses, she entered a plea of insanity and was sent to an asylum. Lizzie convinced her still husband, Paul Halliday, because she didn't marry the other man. Right. Um, They got caught before they finished eloping. Mm -hmm. So she convinced Paul Halliday to help her get released from the asylum, which he did. And as soon as she was released, Lizzie burned down Paul's barn and his mill. Wow. Killing one of his sons, the one with the intellectual disability. Unbelievable. Right. And a few months after that, Tragic arsony. Is that a word? Tragic arsony? Arson? Arson is a word. Um, I don't I don't think arsony is a word. <laughs> I don't think so either. Okay, That's so... That's very arsony of you to set that building on fire. No. Okay. Yeah, no. So a few months after she burned down his property, Paul Halliday disappeared. Of course. Lizzie told the neighbors that he was just traveling for business... But they did not believe her. So those neighbors searched her property, and they discovered two bodies Mm -hmm. under the haystack in the barn. But the bodies were not Paul Halliday's. He has two bodies. (laughs) Neither of the the bodies were Paul Halliday. The bodies belonged to Margaret and Sarah McQuillan. Uh, from her family friends from the old country. Her family friends who helped her out opening that store in Philadelphia. Oh, of course, yeah. They had both been shot to death and shoved under the barn. Jesus. So Lizzie was arrested for these two murders, and then they further searched the grounds and the property, revealing that the body of Paul Halliday was buried beneath the the floorboards of his own house. 
Underneath the floorboards. Underneath the floorboards. Wow. Yes, nevermore. That's not the same poem. No, it's not. Oops. The Telltale Heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or you know, if you're if you're a big brain, it's that SpongeBob episode with the boots. Oh right. Yeah, Mr. Krabs and the, and the squeaky the boots. But yes, he was buried underneath the floorboards. Right. Wow. Yes. So Lizzie was kept in the Sullivan County Jail, where she. According to the New York Times, refused to eat, and it became necessary for the jail physician to force liquid through her nostrils. Oh, good. In November, she tried to strangle the sheriff's wife. A few days later, she set fire to her bedclothes. In December, she tried to hang herself with the binding torn from the bottom of her dress. Wow. On December 15th, she came near ending her life by gashing her throat and arms in a terrible manner with glass broken from her cell window. For the last three months, it has been necessary to keep her chained to the floor. So, she does not like being kept uh, captive, obviously. Yeah. So, Lizzie Holiday's plight became quite the gossip fodder for the New York City newspapers, who had not heard of a woman committing murder. And she became a bit of a celebrity criminal during her time in custody. The Sullivan County Sheriff Harrison Beecher interviewed Lizzie, and afterwards he issued a statement to the press indicating that, quote, recent investigations show that Mrs. Halliday is in all probability connected with the famous Whitechapel murders. Do you know what the Whitechapel murders are, Peter? I don't know. So, they believed her to possibly be Jack the Ripper. No. To have committed no, the murders no, no. in England that are attributed to Jack the Ripper. The sheriff reported, quote, I said to Miss Halliday, Lizzie, you are accused of the Whitechapel murders. Are you guilty? And she said, quote, Do you think I am an elephant? That was done by a man. And no evidence was ever found to implicate Lizzie Halliday in the Jack the Ripper murders, but this certainly increased her criminal celebrity status within the press during this period. I mean, she could have just said no. <laughs> kind of a kind of a weird way to answer that. That was done by a man. I don't know a lot about the Jack the Ripper murders, but also, like, she was in the U.S. Like, it's very geographically distinct, and there's just, like, I think just because it was such a story, they were like, let's just link her to the most famous story at the time, you know? And, like, instead, like, there was no actual logic behind linking her to them other than the fact that they knew she had committed murders. Well... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly easy or fast to travel between uh, Ireland and London, or London and the U.S., so if these things were happening around about the same time, it kind of seems unlikely. Well, yeah, she hadn't been back to Ireland since she was three years old. 
Right. So, I mean... So, probably Like, yeah, not. she was in Ireland between the Britain, sure. But, like, London to the U.S., yeah, exactly. It was a lot of travel, and that would have been recorded very diligently. Would have cost a lot of money, would too. Would have cost a lot of money. Like, everyone would have known that she was gone for weeks at a time, and that does there does not seem to be evidence that corroborates that. So, when the press got over the fact that Lizzie may have been the person who committed the Jack the Ripper murders... They did fixate on the fact that she had been married five times before she wed Paul Halliday, and that two of her husbands died less than a year after their weddings, and that Lizzie tried to poison a third husband. So they began to speculate how many of those deaths had been accidents and how many had been cold-blooded murders. In 1895, Lizzie Halliday became the first woman to be sentenced to death via electric chair, but her sentence was later commuted by the New York governor at the time, Roswell P. Flowers, due to insanity. And she spent the rest of her life in the Matawan Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Beacon, New York, in Dutchess County. Do you know where this is? Not specifically. No, I mean, is it still standing today or is it one of those like bando places that we, we all used to go to? It's I don't not think it is. It's not currently in use, but it's just on the other side of Route 84 from where the Downstate Correctional Facility currently stands. Oh. So on the other side of 84, you know how like the, the Downstate Prison is on one side and then you have like farms on the other? Yeah. Those farms are part of the remains of the Matawan Hospital. Mm-hmm. The, the Matawan Hospital Cemetery is located just off the grounds of the Contemporary Beacon High School. And that's where they had buried a lot of the residents who died while in custody. In the Madwan Hospital, Lizzie Halliday was constantly a source of trouble. She attempted to escape a number of times, and she assaulted several attendants, including the nurse, Nellie Wicks. Screaming, she sank the scissors again and again into the nurse's face. Oh, her face? Yeah, apparently. Oh, good. She was stabbed more than 200 times. Nellie Wicks died from her wounds, and this was also a major news story. Lizzie Halliday died in custody in 1918, and reporting on her death, the New York Times called her, quote, the worst woman on earth. Wow. And that is the story of Lizzie Halliday, New York's most notorious woman serial killer. Here is a court sketch of her. They really made her hair look crazy. Uh, they made her face look crazy, too. And then this is a report of um, when she killed the nurse, Nellie Wicks. There was a lot of news reports and sketches of her, making her look even more evil <laughs> and insane. And that's her story. So, I mean, I guess the, there's a bit of question um, with the contemporary knowledge that we you know the reasons behind people committing murders the question is what was her motivation right like she seemed to kill indiscriminately without regards to method like she tried to kill the third husband with poisoning she stabbed this nurse with scissors so like if it's not necessarily a case of enjoying violence um it just seems like it was her way of perhaps protecting herself um whether that's due to just intense trauma 
of the childhood or just due to some mental instability. Like, it just seemed like she felt the need to kill anyone who was connected with her. Like, just the motive itself is such a big question in this case. And I think, don't think we'll ever know the answer. So that's the story of Lizzie Halliday. She really broke the glass ceiling when it came to women being serial killers. Oh, that is uh, quite the life there. We don't know why she did it, but she did it. And she lived out her life in, I mean, what was then called an insane asylum. I wonder if she's buried at that cemetery, like if you could go visit it and begin. Maybe. That would be interesting. I would like to go. All right, so if you'd like to hear more spooky criminal New Yorky tales from us, you can follow us on Instagram. It's New York State of Crime on you, Instagram. Yes. You can also send us a Gmail. New York State of Crime at gmail.com. And you can visit our website where you can get all of our episodes, information on the episodes, pictures, sources, and information about us. The website is... NewYorkStateOfCrimePodcast.com Alright, so we hope you come back next episode. Peter's going to tell us something then. I don't know what. Um, it's another one having to do with a car, but not a body in a car in the water just uh a just a car and, and manslaughter trauma then trauma yeah i'm not looking forward to that but i hope you will join us next week on new york state of crime bye, bye.